0: good morning. We are entering into our summer series and we're going to be going through an entire book of the Bible and uh, we're going to be spending several weeks. And you know, it is one of those kind of stories that gives us kind of perspective and background on what has taken place throughout human history. Um, I, every year, uh, travel and visit my grandparents, typically uh, during Thanksgiving, and my grandfather is uh, coming up on 90 years old, and uh, I have noticed recently... He is kind of more reflective and wanting to kind of tell stories about what's happened in the past. And the last couple of times I've visited, I've asked him, you know, uh, tell me, you know, stories about what it was like when you were growing up. Tell me stories about great-grandma and great-great-grandma and grandpa and and those types of things. And he's told us several stories that he's kind of reflected on that actually uh, most of our family didn't know about until the last few years. He told about how um, when our, my great-great-grandparents came to the United States about 120 years ago, they were, um, came. Uh, they were German immigrants that actually had been living in Russia because they were being persecuted. So they fled to Russia and then made their way to the United States. He said they, they came through Ellis Island, as is the stories he was told, and they heard about land in South Dakota that they could farm that would be similar to land in Russia and Germany and those areas. And so they were like farmers, and they were able to uh, manage that and think about that. And so they took the train as far as the train would go, and then the city that they found themselves in, they bought like a little covered wagon and used up all their life savings and traveled to this spot like on a map somewhere randomly that, where they said you could farm this land. They traveled all the way there, and uh, when they got there, probably who knows if they were in the right spot or not, um, and they, they, they got to this spot, and uh, my great-great-grandfather Uh, took the covered wagon, the top off the covered wagon, took it off of the uh, wagon, dug a little hole, and that was their home. And then he took back off, uh, back to the city to get some wood to build their first home, leaving my great-great-grandmother there with an infant uh, child in the middle of nowhere. And that's how my family started their journey in this country. And I remember hearing that story and it seemed so like out, like crazy, like otherworldly. And it was like 120 years ago, but it was like something like that is just inconceivable to our world today. But it like gives me some perspective and like, wow, look how far our family has come over the last, you know, few generations. Look at what uh, like amazing sacrifices took place before me in order for me to be afforded the opportunity that I have today and I had kind of no concept of it until a few years ago, and uh, my grandpa was telling these stories well that 's otherworldly, and that 's different than what we could Im- we could possibly imagine in our day and age and so over the next few weeks. We're going to go back not 120 years, we're going to go back 5,000 years. And to a world that is so much different than us that sometimes it's hard to read, hard to comprehend, hard to even understand. To a very violent world in a very different time and place, but a historical story that kind of sets the stage for what comes in the rest of the scripture. And sometimes it's so far away that, like, it's just in some ways inconceivable. But in another way, there, is, there are threads that are the same. There are struggles and difficulties, and there are, like, problems that emerge uh, all throughout human history that still exist right now, today. And there was a group of people that were journeying towards their freedom, seeking their salvation, seeking a relationship with their creator. And actually, history in many ways parallels what we have to face in a different time and place. And so I um, have a great appreciation and and a better understanding of my life by by going back and hearing about my relatives, and maybe that's something that interests you as well, but these are our spiritual relatives, and this is the story of God that happened long, long ago and is recorded for us for some very important reasons. And as we go over the next several weeks, it's going to be a little bit of a different style from normal. We're going to kind of really dig in and focus in on this story. And and, and kind of sometimes, you know, I'm jumping all over and giving different verses. We're going to really focus in on this one book of the Bible for a significant amount of time to really kind of embrace and put ourselves in a place where we can understand the story that went before us. That we can understand what God has done from the beginning of history and continues to do uh, in our time and era. And so we're going to be looking at this. The reality is is this picture of the nation of Israel, which we're going to be looking at, is the picture of humanity, and it's the picture of salvation. That's what it is. And that's also what we're seeking. And it's their journey is... Also, our journey in a different time and place, and so if you can if you can imagine that, and you can make those connections, um, we, uh, we'll follow along through the through the narrative, through the story um, over the next several weeks. But. How, I want to set kind of some of the context. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And, of course, the book of Genesis is the book that goes before it. And there's some context that leads into the book of Exodus. And the book of Genesis, of course, we have the story of God-initiated creation. God, um, God creates. God gives life. But then the story in Genesis chapter 12 kind of moves more towards the personal and towards God's particular call of particular people, where God calls Abraham. And in Genesis 12, uh, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will will be blessed through you. One of the most critical pieces of scripture in all of the Bible, God shows up to a person and says, I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna have a relationship with you. I'm doing something through you, and the reason for that is this is going to set the stage for things to come in the next several thousand years. It will be a blessing for all nations, all people, I'm coming to you in this time and place in human history and reaching out to you. And this is the start of the story. And God uh, calls Abraham. And we hear all throughout the Old Testament kind of this refrain. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. And Jacob, This is the same God. The God that created the universe is also the person who comes to individual people and works and moves in them for greater causes and greater reasons. And Jacob, actually his name in the scripture, is later changed to Israel. When God begins revealing more and more of what he's doing through his line and through the people. And uh, Israel has many, many sons, one of which is by the name of Jacob, whose brothers sell into slavery, and he is actually in Egypt, and through incredible events, becomes uh, moves from being a slave to second-in-command in in Egypt, and really, you know, kind of a, a place of influence in this incredible superpower in this day and age, in the world. But the story, and that's kind of how the story of Genesis ends, where uh, Jacob's son Joseph reunites with the family, and all of kind of the nation of Israel, from the very early time, Israel still alive, come and are reunited with with their brother Joseph in Egypt, and they reestablish themselves in Egypt. And that's how the book of Genesis ends. The book of Exodus opens up at about 400 years later. Where, you know, they have been, lived there and uh, grown as a people in a significant way. And uh, they are still in Egypt. And so this is where our story begins and where we're going to kind of focus in on. Because it's really the birthplace. It's really kind of the story of God's people emerging um, in the scene and God's story emerging through the scriptures. So we're going to read through the first chapter of the book of Exodus. And like I said, I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground. I may have to go quickly because we have a lot of ground to cover over the next several weeks. But I want us to really embrace and put ourselves in the shoes of people who lived thousands and thousands of years ago to better understand what God has done In the past, and what's God still doing now? Says this: There are names of the sons of Israel who went uh, to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family: Reuben, Sibion, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered seventy in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. So Joseph and all his brothers and that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And became exceedingly numerous, so that land, the land was filled with them. Part of the promise God gave Abraham is he said, you'll have so many descendants, it'll be almost like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea, uh, shores. You will have so many uh, descendants, that'll it'll, you know, it'll blow your mind. Um, then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, The Israelites had become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built uh, Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor, in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shaphira and I don't know. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God, did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Little, little white lie. Um, so, God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives fe- feared God, they gave, gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. You know, it's interesting the crazy world that we enter into when we look at this. And again, like I said, it's kind of, it puts us back into a place of wow, that was different, right? That was different. That is a crazy time and place. But the reality is, is in our world, if we reflect on what we look at around our world, as we reflect on what we've become as people in our world, we still have moments in time where there's crazy around us. There's still moments in time where we look around and there's people enslaved, there's people brutalized, there's people that are, are harmed at the, you know, in the path of evil, and we still have this in our time and era. We still have this. We still find ourselves in a world that is absolutely full of evil. And we don't maybe like to talk about it in such terms. Maybe we like to kind of be a little bit distant from that, And, like, keep kind of these crazy stories of people being completely brutalized, like maybe from news stories and from afar. But the reality is, it is still here. Evil still exists. Evil still, in many ways, is a part of our world and our existence that we have to wrap our heads around. And we have to, like, come to some kind of an idea of what is going on, God? How do you allow this to exist? There is evil, evil, evil that is going on. And as even we go throughout the story, you'll see the incredible parallels of history. That the nation of Israel, over and over, is the people who are blessed by God, chosen by God, and there are direct, particular evil forces that come against that. And, you know, we think, wow, that is amazing, that is crazy, that is otherworldly. But, you know what, in our time and era, there was another evil person that came up against the nation of Israel. And that's just a generation ago that Hitler did the same thing, that he directly went to annihilate The Israelites directly went to kill them in masses. And this has happened time and time again throughout history, even in our generations. That there have been people that have come against what God is doing in brutal, brutal ways. And this is the world that we're in. This is the existence that we have to come to grips with. That that we can't just say you know what, people are, you know, somewhat good and, you know, sometimes, sometimes people maybe just, just like their mom wore, wasn't nice to them and we need to be sympathetic and all these things. Yeah, yeah, that may be true. There is evil. There's evil in this world. And we need to recognize and, and, and realize that. And in this time and place, it is clear and it is direct and we see this pharaoh the king saying kill all of them kill all the baby boys take them out you know this and so this is the story that we walk into the people of god find themselves enslaved in a world of evil they find themselves brutalized they find around them violence everywhere. They find themselves in a place where it is beyond their control. And this is multiple generations that they're dealing with this over and over. And it's hard even to grasp sometimes how like, people can, can be in this time and place, be doing the right thing, and they live their entire lives in this kind of existence. Why doesn't God respond more swiftly? Why, doesn't, why don't things change more dramatically? But throughout history, this is something that we have to come to grips with and grasp. And then in Exodus 2, there's a story of a child that is born. In the New Testament, the Herod, when he heard of Jesus being born, killed all the infant males to try to prevent anyone that would be a rival of his. When they hear about Jesus being born. Same thing is happening here. The Pharaoh kills all the baby boys. But one is saved. It says this in chapter 2. Now a man of the house of Levi. Married a Levite woman. She became pregnant. Gave birth to a son. When she saw he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer. She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it, saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby, nurse him for me, I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Which is a Hebrew word that kind of sounds like coming out of the water. Drawn out of the water. That's why she named him Moses. And so in this world of violence, of death, in enslavement, pain... Brutalized for generation after generation and mass really mass genocide of baby boys, Moses is spared Moses is hidden Moses is put in this little basket which is covered with pitch which is uh, uh, kind of points to and reflects us back to the story of Noah where God saved his people on the ark and and Moses is found in the waters by the Pharaoh's daughter. You know, it's amazing, and we have to remember this. Even in the most brutal places, even in the places where it seems the darkest around the world, God's grace is always still there. God's grace is still there. And this woman was moved, and she had compassion, and she did something that probably could have cost her her life. It's her father that issued the decree that they all die. And she has mercy on this child and spares him. And because of this fortunate events and God's hand and this grace that is given in this moment in time. It it ends up that it's Moses' actual mother that gets to raise him for a season of time. And gets gets to take care of him. God's hand is at work in an incredible way. God's hand is is stepping into this terrible, terrible place and making a way, making a path. As we go along, we'll definitely deal with and talk about the fact that there's there's a lot of bad that is going on. Why doesn't God step in more? But throughout, there is always a moment in time and always a path that God shows up and God uh, takes dramatic action, and people respond to that little tiny, tiny glimmer of hope and do the right thing, and in that moment of time, there is a picture of some kind of hope, something. And this is what happens in the story, is that this child is drawn from the waters. You have to see and hear and understand the scripture is so full of these historical parallels. It's so full of this symbolism and parallels that, you know, when Jesus comes and he tells people to go into the waters to be baptized, that, you know, that when you go down to the waters, your sins are washed away and when you come back up, you are saved from your sins. These pictures are all throughout scripture and this is the picture that we have of Moses coming out of the waters and being a picture of salvation. And God is starting to show people there is a narrative and there is a story and there is a plan for all of human history. There is something that God is doing and man, it seems like it's taking a lot of time. It seems like there's a lot of difficulty. It seems like there's enslavement and year after year after year. But God is moving in human history. God is moving... uh, and doing and interceding in the midst of an evil, evil world. And this, and this is how the story emerges. And this is how God's people emerge. Out of the waters. So, I want you to think about in your life. This is, sometimes we cannot control the world that we're born into. We cannot control the circumstances that are around us. We cannot control the evil that is around us. But there always is that possibility and that glimmer of hope. But the reality of that world, uh, the reality of the sin, the reality of the evil around us, it's a difficult road. And we hear more about Moses' story and how Moses is affected by the world that he's born into. And so I continue on to verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the stand. The next day, when he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, he asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had several daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs of water of their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruau their father, uh, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. So as the story continues, Moses grows up in this environment. He grows up seeing uh, evil all the time. He grows up seeing the enslavement and hopelessness of his people. You know, I wonder, and I think in my own life, how am I affected, how am I changed, how am I impacted by the world that I was born into? What are the things in my life that, like, I haven't come to grips with yet. What are the things that have affected me in the world that I have been born into? Moses is born into this world of hopelessness. He's born into this world of being, uh, people being enslaved, and there's a moment in time where he looks and he sees like somebody being beaten, and he like kind of snaps. He says, I had enough. And he goes and he kills the man. He, re- he is born into this world of violence, and oppression and uh, all this and so he responds maybe in the only way that he knows and he kills him he sees and he 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 figures out that other people notice this he's afraid for his life and so he flees and so this is this is kind of how the story is set up it's a bleak environment the nation of Israel was called by God to do great and wonderful things and instead they find themselves in slavery generation after generation. Moses is spared but he's in a world where he can't do anything about all the injustice and he does he kills someone. And he has to run and flee. And that's kind of how the story begins. And I want you to pause and think about Uh, in your own world, in your own life, how this plays out for you. That the world that we're in affects us. The world that we're in sometimes pushes us towards a path of sin. It pushes us towards a place where it seems like there's no hope. There's no answers. And many, many times, kind of what it leads us to is just kind of like fitting in with what everybody else is doing. Giving up. There's no hope in this world This is what the world is like that I'm born into. There's no answer. There's no hope. And this is kind of how the path that we follow. But Moses commits this sin, commits this murder. And the result of it, it pushes him to a place of isolation where he's been. He was called out by God. He was spared by God. And the final line that we read is, I become an alien in a foreign land. He's homeless. He's a person that has sinned. He's completely isolated from his family and his history. And it seems like at this point in time in history, that like that's going to kind of be the end of his story. And this is where God intervenes. And we'll pick up the narrative in the story next week. But before we conclude, I want you to just, just take... A moment to think about how you have been affected by the world that you were born into. Maybe in these subtle ways. How has has it pushed you to places of isolation? How has it pushed you to just kind of like follow what everybody else is doing? How has it pushed you to places of sin? And the reality is, throughout Scripture, it says here's what sin does it puts us in a place where we're all alone, it separates us from God. And we find ourselves kind of hopeless and alone if this is it, if this is the story that we live into. The amazing journey that we're gonna go through and look at through the book of Exodus is the journey that every person really has to go through in their life. Sin is enslavement. Sin leads to bondage. Sin leads to isolation. This world that we have created is a consequence of sin. And that's kind of where it always starts. That's the world that we found ourselves in. But if we're open, and if we're available, and if we allow God to get in, that there is a path to freedom. But let me tell you, this is not something... Maybe, like, it's easy in our day and age and in our time just to kind of, like, say, oh, great, we're, I, I don't live in a time where I'm enslaved in a desert by Egyptians, so it's clean and simple. But let me just tell you, this is a real battle, and it's a real journey. To get to a place of freedom in your life, to get to a place of, of true, like, forgiveness and salvation, it is a long road towards freedom. Where God works and moves. But we have to open ourselves up to say, I will be a part of that. I will go contrary to what everybody else is doing. I will go a different path. I will follow what what God is doing instead of the road that leads to destruction, isolation, sin, more and more evil, more and more death. So maybe you can relate to this moment in time that Moses is, is at and where we leave the story. I'm an alien in my own land, or I'm an alien in a foreign land. I have nowhere to churn. My life is marked by sin. And I don't think there's a lot of hope right now. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for telling us this story, helping us understand what path other people have gone through, the the journey that you've taken human history through. Our world is littered with story after story of sin, death, and destruction, of evil, and every single one of us is affected and touched by that. Every single one of us is, has to face the struggle and the difficulty of that. And God, many times, feels like we're completely alone and isolated without hope. God, open our hearts to the fact that even though we haven't gone through maybe some of the same struggles and difficulties that other people have, that we still have our own journey and our own path. We still have a decision to make. Will we just be marked by the culture that we're born into? Will we be just give up and look around and say there's no hope? Will we open our hearts up to the story that you're, you're doing? Will we believe in the promise that you said that there will be a blessing that is coming? There will be salvation. There will be hope. So God, I pray for the people in this room that just feel like they're alone. Feel like they're just kind of overwhelmed by the world that they've been born into. Overwhelmed by sin. And I pray that you'd show up and help us to know that there is a path to freedom. But every single one of us start in a bondage of sin. I invite you today to do something that is kind of out of the ordinary from our typical routine. I invite you to reflect on the reality of the evil that is around us and in our world. I think we have to recognize that. We have to deal with that. We have to confront it. We can't turn a blind eye to the fact that There's evil all around us that affects us. We have to ask, is there an answer? Is there any hope? Some people have thrown up their hands and just given up and just said, this is the way it is. Don't be that person. Seek God seek healing, seek freedom.